Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 10, issue 473 and finally, after nearly a decade of podcasting in this format, we're going to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog. But just the first game this time because there's a lot of Sonic, I don't know if you've heard, and we thought we'd like to get into depth and detail with Sonic 1, both the 8 and 16-bit versions, and of course the many ports and emulations thereof. We'll talk about some of the pros and cons of the different versions as we go along. And joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue are Darren Gargett. Hello. Leah Haydu. That's not, the noise of not Sonic. bad. It's, 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 I, you know, I practiced. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's not there yet, but I'm, I feel like I'm doing okay. Of all the sound chips, I'd say the Mega Drives is maybe the hardest to emulate with your voice, with mm. your larynx. Trying, so, though. It's a good effort. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, we'll talk more about Sonic trying to stay alive underwater later on. But our uh, last panellist for this show, we are very pleased to say, is from Digital Foundry and Digital Foundry Retro. It's the one and only John Lenneman. Hey, welcome. I am not going to attempt any sound effects tonight. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> I can't we'll leave do it. that to our special specialists <laughs> in in the uh, in the field. Uh, welcome back, John. Uh, thank you. Thank of, you. Of all the people in the in the gaming sphere, uh, I can't think of anyone I'd rather have with us for this Sonic the Hedgehog show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. Then now uh, this feels redundant, but we we we've been asked to do it a very quick pricey of what is Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog is a cute and colourful 2D platform and collecting game starring a blue European Erinacei, released initially for Sega's 16-bit Genesis and Mega Drive, and subsequently reworked for 8-bit handheld the Game Gear and previous-gen home console the Master System. It's had a lot of sequels and spin-offs and follow-ups, but we won't worry about those until the future. We'll start off, as always, by learning our histories with the game. I'm interested, John, is this one of the games that put you on the path to where you are today? I would say yes, absolutely. Uh, this... I would think so. So, you know, I had obviously played plenty of games prior to this, um, but... Sonic was sort of a very special release for me, I think. I just remember seeing it for the first time and just I could not believe what was going on. Just the colors, the parallax scrolling, the speed, uh, the catchy soundtrack. Um, I did not have access to it right away. The first time I actually played it was actually at a cousin's house. uh, And they had a very large screen. Like it was a 40 plus inch Wow. Actual CRT, like not a rear projection, but a real CRT, Ooh, uh, one of those Mitsubishi ones. And I played it on there and I was just like, this is this is incredible. Uh, <laughs> but before I actually got the game, I actually got the uh, the Tiger Electronics version of Sonic 1, which is not the game. <laughs> That's but, not uh, made my list of, of ports to cover because, yeah, as you say, it's uh, it's a very different beast. It is. It's very, but very you, different. It, in your head, like, how old were you? Do you mind us asking uh, this, oh, at that man. point? Probably like nine or ten or something. Yeah. I guess. So you were playing Sonic the Hedgehog and that's all that mattered, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, just playing it at all. But, you know, once you actually get your hands both on, you know, it was obviously the Genesis or Mega Drive. You know, I was really into that. Uh, and that was the game that really sold me on that console. And I kind of became a lifelong fan of the series just based on that original but it was also the game that sold me on like the Game Gear. I remember seeing the Game Gear for the first time, and it's like, yeah, wait, cool. there's Sonic on a on a portable system, right? And it's color. Uh, I mean, I had a Game Boy, but like, I wanted a Game Gear after that too. 
because you know just it really started something so yeah for me it's a very special game have you been back to it much over the years different versions many many times and in fact i just played through it again today oh bless you well done uh well we'll get more into the versions and and stuff as we go along leah uh also uh, a, a a youth of the u.s who got sonic first oh yeah was it a big deal Were you hyped for it by whatever tv ads and magazines of the day so i i don't know that i was specifically like really super looking forward to sonic i the first time i remember playing it was actually at a friend's house um and she had um she had a sega genesis uh as as they are known over in in my neck of the woods. We- we're cool with that. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll probably, uh, I'll probably stick with that. Uh, yeah. So we, she had a Sega Genesis, had a couple of games for it. And uh, what, I re- what I remember is um, that I was very good at video games, uh, obviously, as, as you are at however old I was, at probably 10 or 11. Um, so she was having trouble getting past the first boss in Sonic the Hedgehog, like, you know, just the <laughs> first, very first Robotnik fight. Uh, and I managed to get past that and then went ahead and beat the game while I was sleeping over her house. So um, that was kind of my first experience with Sonic. Uh, and then I somehow managed to talk my parents into buying me a Sega Genesis uh, for, I think it was for Christmas that year or uh, possibly for my birthday the year after, um, somewhere around there. So it, it wasn't right when the con- when the console or the game were released, but mm-hmm. uh, relatively close to. And uh, that would have been my first home console. I had a Game Boy before that, but uh, had not had not managed to finagle a, uh, a an actual console that, that hooked up to the TV. So I had very strict time limits. I was only allowed to be on the Sega for uh, an hour at a time. Um, right. And yeah, because we only had the one TV, so it was uh, it was a, a sought after <laughs> resource. Um, but uh, did play a lot of Sonic because it was the only game I had for a while, and um, I, I held on to that console for quite a while. Uh, and actually, recently I posted a picture of this on the Slack, and I possibly on Twitter as well. If I if I didn't, I'll post it after this. But um, yeah, of a. Um, I'd asked my mother uh, recently, very recently, uh, to keep an eye out for my box of Sega Genesis games because I knew that I had mm. one. I knew I had not gotten rid of it, but I had no idea where it was. So I thought it was probably in their house somewhere. Uh, and she just last weekend located my box of Sega Genesis games, including a my original copy of Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and uh, I, I have I'm in possession of all of those now. So that was magical. That was there was also very, a She-Ra oh. doll in that box. There was a She-Ra doll in that box. I, I actually have the She-Ra castle, um, but I didn't want to bring the whole thing home with me because I didn't know where I put it. So, uh, and, but that's a thing that exists. Yes, <laughs> Darren. Hey. Uh, you are probably best known on this show as being an excitable N64 kind of dude. You could say that. But I take one to bed every night. It's but <laughs> but there's also a bit of uh, a bit of Sega and a bit of Sonic in your in your past, right? Yeah, you know, like as a kid of that era, right? So like nine, eight, nine, ten. Like you couldn't not get involved with Sonic the Hedgehog, especially in in the UK, England. It was all over the place. Yeah, probably more so than Mario for me. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's my brother's influence. Like my brother, my older brother, James, he had a lot of kind of control over what was cool and what was not. And um, yeah, I specifically remember him swapping my Master System for a NES, you know, even though I was in love with my Master System and the Sonic the Hedgehog on that console. He, he went, oh, I'm going to swap this over for a NES. I was like, okay. And then, yeah, he did that for me. And I thought, oh, well, you know, fair enough. I've got a NES now. 
but yeah, um, Sonic the Hedgehog one on, on the Mega Drive. Uh, there's two people who 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 I refer to as kind of the first place where I played it. Next door neighbor, she had the I've mentioned it before, like a plastic case that she carried it around in, and it had like a right. slot for, or two for Sonic the Hedgehog cartridges. But they had like um a Japanese or or like an Asian console that had the funky box art, which kind of took me by surprise because yes. I was so used to the. It's, it's almost Master System-esque, isn't it, the box art over here? It's kind of very kind of like... It's incredibly early 90s. It's yeah. got like, uh, yeah, just sort of random spots and shapes and colours. It looks a bit like the opening title sequence to Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or something like that. Yeah, but, and then, so I remember looking at that thinking, wow, that's completely different to ours, whereas ours was a bit more mundane. Um, but yeah, I, I actually... And then there's another friend uh, down the road, Howard. He had a Mega Drive, and again, like I'm sure I played Sonic there, but I can't, I can't remember exactly where I first played it. But I've got a massive, you know, a 2D Sonic specifically. I do like some of the 3D things, but uh, 3D ones, sorry. But yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog in 2D is definitely an affectionate and nostalgic time for me. So much so that I recently, you know, re- relatively recently tr- uh, streamed it for um for Kane Rinse on Twitch and uh, played through one, two, three, and some of the uh the lesser known ones and i uh, i i i'll always enjoy playing as sonic the hedgehog and uh and his buddies for me i remember sonic being on the way reading magazines i was older than all these guys here because i still am disappointingly uh and so i was in my t- late teens when sonic hype started and i realized you know that the game was perhaps being slightly you know somewhat skewed at a slightly younger audience but to be honest, I just didn't care, and I still don't. Uh, I was playing colourful, cartoony platformers on my Amiga and at the arcade, so why not at home? The only problem was I didn't have a Mega Drive until after Sonic had come out, and it was the very Mega Drive on which I first played Sonic around uh, at my friend's house that I ended up playing it repeatedly to completion multiple times. I bought that Mega Drive off my friend when he was uh, lacking in cash, bought Sonic with it, uh, ended up buying, I think, more than one copy of Sonic for that console, probably bought it and traded it, different versions, Japanese and international and whatever else. Then I, at some point, I moved on to the Saturn version of Sonic Jam. The copy that I bought is still sitting right here in front of me now in 1997. And yeah, I've bought it on virtually every format that it's come out on since. And it's probably one of the games that I've completed the most times in my life. The only... uh, The only shortcoming here is that my experience of the 8-bit version is also very limited i remember playing the master system version briefly on my little cousin's master system uh, for a while on a a christmas or something and uh, a game gear owning friend let me play the first level on his game gear but really that was it until preparing for this show when i remembered latterly that uh, there is a legal way to buy it and play it which is on 3ds uh, they released it on the virtual console so i played through that version which i think is possibly what darren and leah did as well mm, yeah i did yeah uh, it's still available although buying games on the 3ds is now a bit of a palaver because you can't just uh, buy things from directly from your console you have to either get a points card or go through the website but once you do it's only uh, four quid something or five dollars i guess mm-hmm. uh, so that's there so, uh, the developer is known as Sonic Team for the 16-bit version, but of course, that w- w- that was obviously a team that was specifically put together to make this game. Now, I'm going to lean on John a bit here because I know he's absolutely amazing on this stuff. However, I don't want to p- 
put pressurize and put put your general knowledge on the spot but um what i do know is that yuji naka the the lead programmer and somebody who's still associated with sonic very heavily to this day despite having left sega a long time ago had previously worked on some other mega drive games including their sega's port of uh ghouls and ghosts yes from the capcom arcade um and uh, the d- designer was uh, Hirokazu Yasuhara. Um, and I'm not sure exactly which previous uh, Sega projects they'd worked on. Producer was uh, Shinobu Toyada. Over on the 8-bit version, which came a little later, that was given to Team Ancient. Uh, now, extraordinarily, that was, as a team, as Ancient Corp, that was their first ever game. Their second mm. ever game being Streets of Rage 2, which is... Start just astonishing mm. uh i don't know whether they uh, were approached by sega or they pitched to sega to make the 8-bit version but what i do understand was that although the master system version ended up coming out before the game gear version the original intention was not to have a master system version a bit like sony this generation with ps5 games i think they wanted originally to just sell mega drives and genesis's by having sonic as a as a a platform shifter but in the end they realized that they had a decent install base of master systems around the world and so they realized that they wanted to make that version plus the game gear they were still trying to sell as a yeah here's your here's your kind of gaming experience on the go so they had a version that they could quite easily modify into uh, an 8-bit version does that all sound yeah that's pretty much right on Cool, cool. And it makes sense, you know, the Master System, just because the Game Gear and Master System are very similar hardware. So yeah. it's not a big deal to port that over to Master System. Uh, a few it, tweaks were made, which we'll yep. talk about for the screen size. The game came out for Genesis first in North America on June 23rd, 1991. Hence us recording this podcast now and you listening to it, because it is 30 years. This was one of those dates that I scared my kind of... Uh, <laughs> My non-gaming friends, or not non-gaming, but, you know, less less steeped in, in the, the medium than I am friends the other day by saying, yeah, look, I'm playing Sonic because it's 30 years old. And them going, what? No, it isn't. <laughs> Where did my life go? Mm. Uh, another such existential crises. Uh, it was released for the Mega Drive in PAL territories in July uh, 1991 at some point, but it was unoptimized. It was slower and it was bordered. The Japanese version came improved uh in a few small ways also july 2691 it was a four megabit cartridge which is very small and uh, according to legend the famous sega jingle which i believe was sampled from an old master system tv commercial uh it's been estimated as taking up somewhere between a 20th and an eighth of that cartridge (laughs) because speech digitized speech is like a big deal our first correspondent for this show is Piddy from the forum, who says one of my first consoles was a Master System, which was then closely followed by a Mega Drive. Both times, the first game I had for each was Sonic the Hedgehog. This would eventually start a craze, which to my parents' despair would stay around for a number of years. Sonic clothing, bedding, videos, posters, you name it, I probably had it. I recall playing both the Master System and Mega Drive versions tirelessly, spending hours on each trying to make it to the final level with enough lives intact to complete the game. I could sit in my room and have my mum play along with me. I recall on Christmas we spent the majority of the day in front of the TV just playing Sonic, each taking it in turns, the only time I've seen my mum play a video game. 
To this day, when I drive up north to see my family, I go past the Sega HQ going out of London with the massive Sonic sign. Every time I get a memory jog of playing the original Sonic games. Billy from the forum says, shout out to the Saturn port of Sonic, which ran natively on the 32-bit hardware, not under emulation, and came with Sonic 2, 3 and Knuckles, as well as the prototype 3D Sonic World. It did indeed. Uh, it fixed the speed of the game, restoring the PAL version to full 60 hertz speed, included remixed modes alongside the original and even added spin dash. I don't know. I know it was better optimized than the Mega Drive. I don't know that it was fully optimized. Yeah, but, so... Uh, the the main thing there is I believe it's I think it's still slower, but they yeah. at least fixed I, I actually can't remember because I haven't touched the PAL version in a while, but I think no. they fixed the music. Yes. Uh which was so that was a weird thing because, you know, the original version released in Europe is the same as the North American ROM. They're yeah. exactly the same. Uh it just runs slow. And they did not That's even right. do the music conversion, which would become the norm going forward. But in that case, the music just runs slow. Uh, but the thing is, is from what I've discovered, is a lot of people uh, in PAL land kind of associate that slower speed as like 100%. the correct way to hear the music. And so, you know, for me, it sounds off. But for yeah. other folks, they hear the normal speed and they're like, well, that sounds weird. Yep. So absolutely. Releasing this on Saturn times. then, yeah. I can imagine, like back then, maybe the knowledge about this stuff wasn't as clear, right? So you could imagine somebody buying the PAL version of Sonic Jam and maybe the music's fixed and they're like, wait, what's going on here? Yep. <laughs> I definitely had that. Yeah. I definitely remember playing, uh, playing, playing that Saturn version and having friends going, why is the music sped up? Uh, yeah no it's not that's that's what it's so yeah but actually there is something to be said for the slower version of of the starlight zone music i think it just adds it that extra level of chill the master system version arrived in october 91 with the pal version arriving uh, in november i don't know about the pal situation there um, but i imagine it's i, I actually own made. the pal cart oh, and cool. playing it it c plays correctly at 60 hertz but is slow oh, nice. at 50 hertz so right. it's it's another unoptimized game, oh, but okay. this uh, I I like this Master System game. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk more about it, but it's not. Yeah. I, I do prefer the original, but I I think it's a neat little slower paced adventure that still yeah. works within the confines of that system, which is something that I don't think some of the later Sonic games would. Right. Uh, yeah. it's a it's a curious little game. Alex seventy nine UK from our forum says my first exposure to Sonic was on the Master System. At this point, I'd never played a Mario game, and my only platforming experience had come from an old 8-bit computer games like Dizzy and Manic Miner. I remember being astounded by the graphics and speed in Sonic, and had hours of fun making my way through the various colourful stages. I never actually played the Mega Drive version until a few years later, but even now I still prefer the Master System one. I thought the platforming was slightly more methodical and challenging, rather than just seemingly zipping through the stages at 100 miles an hour on the Mega Drive. The Master System 1 had more interesting levels, in my opinion, too, especially the Jungle Zone. It's fair to say that in later years, my love for Sonic gradually dissipated as more interesting platformers, especially the Mario series, took my attention. But for a short, short while in the early 90s, Sonic was just about the coolest thing I'd ever played. Mm. Yeah, I know a lot of people who swear by the 8-bit the version. Mm. Partly, it's a, it's a bit like your your first Zelda or your first Doctor Who Sure. Often the one you play the first is the one that you build all those fond memories and, and nostalgia for. But partly, yeah, I think Ancient did, you know, a sensible job. Yeah. Sean S. Thomas from the forum says, For me, gaming really began when my parents helped me plug a Master System 2 into our shoddy little 
portable TV on the kitchen table. And I saw that Sega logo followed by Sonic's iconic start screen. That Christmas, I spent dozens of hours trying to beat it in the days long before save states at various points, having it taken away from me after bursting into frustrated tears due to dying in the latter stages. <laughs> and that Game Gear version, which, as I say, was originally planned to come alongside or near alongside the Mega Drive version and ahead of the Master System version, actually only arrived in December 1991, just after Christmas, which I assume was slightly after they originally wanted it released you would think um but i guess it went on to do pretty well anyway magical isopod from our forum says a very different game much slower paced and obviously very different to the mega drive version obviously not to the master system much slower paced and obviously has simpler level design due to hardware limitations bearing those limitations in mind it's actually quite impressive it's a very fast game but also kind of its problem too on the game gear version in particular the speed becomes an obstacle due to the narrower screen size it's nearly impossible to see spikes and pitfalls and react in time to avoid them while the genesis version does slow you down it also gives the skilled player enough time to react further impeding the game is the slowdown and it's tough to explain exactly why basically too many sprites on screen will slow the game down and in yep. extreme examples like the bridge stage the lag actually causes you to drop inputs mm -hmm. making timing jumps very difficult in the context of 8-bit platforming, it's really quite impressive. It plays faster than most 8-bit contemporaries, and the use of colour is surprisingly lush. Mm. But I also think the technical limitations make it a hard sell in the current year to all but the most ardent enthusiasts. I've got the um, solution to the bridge thing. Just jump over the bridges, and it's fine. You can just yeah. literally just hurdle over the, the falling yes. logs, and you're sorted. It's, uh, it's all right, yeah. <laughs> Reviews-wise, at the time, I remember a lot of 90% or thereabout. The Game Rankings resource had it at 86% for the 16-bit version, which sounds about right. It wasn't the kind of game, Sonic, that other than maybe a few dedicated Sega magazines, it wasn't necessarily getting like 98s, 97s, things like that, but it was, it was getting healthy scores everywhere, high 80s, low 90s, that kind of thing. User reviews now, today, the only place I could really find meaningful ones is over on Nintendo Life, which is ironic given the, the rivalry at the time. But uh, from users on there, we've got 7.2 out of 10 for the Master System version, 7.5 for the Game Gear version, and 8.4 for the Mega Drive version. So it seems that people st do still slightly prefer the 16-bit the original overall. Sales-wise, well, if you tot up all the various versions, compilations, re-releases, no idea, but... Sonic the Hedgehog is known as the best-selling Genesis game with 15 million units sold, including many of those bundled, of course. Let's get into the scenario of Sonic. Obviously, it's a very simple kind of thing, but it's kind of weird and wacky and wild and a bit unlike anything else, which I think is probably contributory to its success over the years. Uh, apparently, the Japanese release of the game added additional storyline details as the existing plot uh, was virtually a basic outline in the original release in America, the purpose of the Chaos Emeralds is greatly expanded upon, which is elaborated upon in later games. It is explained that Dr. Robotnik was specifically searching for them on the island due to their incredible energy, according to legend. The manual also states that there has already been some unknown animosity between Sonic and Robotnik in the past. It also lists the setting as, quotes, South Island. That's according to the Sonic Wiki. So I was too old to get into the Sonic lore when this came out. However, my little cousin, who's 10, 11 years younger than me, was obsessed 
He had all the comics. He had all the oh, merch. Wow. He had all the books. He knew all the names of all the different enemies, all the stages, all the everything. He knew everything about this stuff. Now, for me, it was it was just a, a colourful fantasy world that I really liked. It's surreality and it's kind of, uh, yeah, just sort of almost dreamlike, especially those special stages kind of sense. The mm. fact that you were a blue hedgehog, it was, I just like. I just thought it was a great vibe. But were any of you being younger than me kind of, into the world of sonic um i mean enjoyed it at the time but you know i wasn't hugely into the story elements it's just more the game though i did watch one of the cartoons uh, mm -hmm. regularly in the morning just because it happened to be on uh but it is interesting i mean when you look at like the themes of this game it's very much early 90s when there was that focus on like you know the sudden revival of like we must take care of the environment yeah, uh, and you know it's it's right alongside like Captain Planet and other mascot games that would follow like the not so excellent Awesome Possum, uh, which is also <laughs> based. You know, it's like they're all around yeah. this like saving animals, saving the environment against some big bad like doctor or corporation or something like that, yeah. right? And this it follows along on those themes, and I think it it sort of communicates those ideas very well through the gameplay itself. The fact that mm. when you kill an enemy, uh, you're actually freeing an animal and, you know, you're freeing them at the end and, you know, all of this stuff is visualized very well. So you don't even need mm. to read anything, but you kind of get the gist just yeah. from playing it. And I think that's a big success for a game of this era. Mm. Yeah. I was never really into the lore of Sonic and to, <laughs> as, as to why things are happening, you know, until now, until yeah, <laughs> this, this, this last year. No, I haven't know. Um, yeah, but I had the, um, the sticker body book pillow. and <laughs> I had the sticker book and I had the, you know, I watched the, um, the TV show, the scratch and grounder in it. And I had the, uh, you You're know, the into it. <laughs> That's the one. For yeah. As, for as much as my attention span would allow me. Yeah. You know, I, I always get to a certain point with like, um, story and law and i'm like okay i know enough i don't need to know why sonic's shoes are red and that you know what i mean that's a, that's a step <laughs> too far for me like uh but yeah you know just the premise of you know good versus bad and like, like you say the animals popping out from the um the robots you know i slowly yeah. pieced together that robotnik was kinterball backwards and you know there is stuff there that lingers hmm. in my brain because kinterball is probably the planet he came from maybe i it's a you know i don't really know mobius other words that sound like that that's right so some of the, i think some of that stuff was sort of uh retrofitted for for Yipping. the for the extra materials <laughs> yeah i was not happy when they called him eggman i just thought that was an insult to the uh the robotnik name i just mm. thought what did you what you're doing you can't call him eggman now it'd be Japanese, like calling bowser though. drip face or something do you know what i mean canon, it wouldn't man. work you Suck couldn't change bowser's name you just couldn't do it so yeah um i thought eggman king cooper a... <laughs> well yeah there is that but you... same same deal but but was it King Cooper mm. was a bit weird. Anyway, no, yeah, um, <laughs> dude, like at least, um, but I don't know, man. Like Eggman, he's a big round guy, and they call him Eggman. I just thought it was a bit too on the nose. At least Robotnik had some some mystery behind it, you know. And mm. he was always flying around in these strange machines that, that blew up in no time at all. But you know, I I like more so than most platformers, really. The the, the concept behind Sonic, I just never really got. Well, it, it sounds like I did actually, but in my in my own brain, I'm not a Sonic super fan. I'm just a right. I I'm just a, a, like observer. <laughs> I just love, like, all over the Japanese manual and the box art, they have this English text of blurb that just says, yes. don't just sit there and waste your precious time. That's when you it. want to do something, do it right away. Do it when you can. It's the only way to live a life without regrets. And that's everywhere in this thing. I remember it so well. <laughs> I remember those exact words. And I remember saying to my friend who was less into video games than me, 
why is a video game telling you not to sit there and waste your precious time? <laughs> <laughs> and I was saying, well, I don't feel something? like I am. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you, so you didn't have the merch then, Leo? Is that what you're saying? Uh, sadly, I did not. Um, I, I've actually heard that the comics are pretty good. I, yeah, I've heard I, that too. Yeah, it's, I, mm, but I, I mean, I'm 40. I, I feel like if I do get into Sonic the Hedgehog comics, I have to hide it away. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, yeah it's, it's, it'll go with my, my knuckles body pillow, like Leon said. Yeah, and you'll um, end up on bad parts of the internet that you don't want to go true. to. You just got to be really careful, that. you know, just, mm. you, you can't leave your safe search on all the time. So, <laughs> but no, I, I was Incognito not. Incognito browse. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's what they're for. Um, I, I, I did not uh, get very into the the story of, of Sonic. I just was pretty much there for the platforming. It did. I, I do remember it kind of blowing my mind when I realized what was happening with the uh, with the animals being released when you when you jumped yeah. on stuff. Um, I thought that was very cool. But that's I think that's about as far as I went. So really, Sonic, I think, pretty much was uh, strategized by within Sega to do better against Mario and uh, Alex yep. Kidd. The <laughs> just wasn't cutting it really oh, commercially. Uh, the 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 Alex Kidd games, particularly the the sixteen bit ones, have been pretty kind of uh, retrograde. I would have said, and Sega wanted something that would appeal more globally, especially in North America and the West. So obviously, what 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 do Americans like more than anything? It's blue European hedgehogs. We um, no no incorrect, Leon. We like attitude. That's what that's Sonic it. had. Yeah, this is the attitude. He taps his foot when you leave him standing there. That's I mean, it's that's edgy. true. <laughs> it's true, but this is what I wanted to talk about Sonic's character. So obviously, this is not the Sonic the series show, but for me, the original Sonic. Is although he has the thing, he furrows his brow, he taps his foot. Other than that, and yes, he goes fast and he bops things with his spikes, but he's basically quite cute and yeah. lovable, I think, compared to what happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> of the time, though, he did seem kind of more attitudinal, is that a word? In terms That'll of like do. other like games uh, that are around, like sure. something to me definitely stood out as, and the animations were a massive part of that, but even as a kind of a a concept like you know you saw the artwork in the magazines and stuff and he was definitely larger than life in terms of like decapitap and uh what was <laughs> green green dog and other kind of you know two bit oh, kind yeah. of bit part characters you're like well i'm not playing a game called green dog and this is weird little like, lanky man like you know doing weird stuff sonic stood out and because of the spikes on his back because he's a hedgehog that that was kind of the um great silhouette the aesthetic so, to actually go, hang on one of the things I really thought about with him, and I, I, I think there's a, a grain of truth to this, is that if you if you watch Sonic in the game, from the title screen to his uh, animations displaying the game, he acknowledges you, right? He acknowledges right. the person behind the screen controlling him in a way. Yeah. Uh, and I actually think that's really kind of unique for the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at like Mario or any other character, Mega Man and all of them, they don't do that. There's not this presence where it feels like they are acknowledging something beyond the screen. And yeah. the way Sonic looks at the screen, the the motions that he that he uses, you know, his tapping the foot, all that stuff, all it is is just sort of like acknowledging the player. And I think this helps him feel more lively and connected in a way. And it creates this like character that just feels different within the game itself. 
Mm. Uh, and you know, whether people realized it or not, I actually think that this really helped sort of like make him stand out. Mm. If he could knock on the screen, like, you know, magically, like some, I think an N64 game did it, Conquer probably did it with the little imps. If Sonic like... could come up to knock on the screen and like wake you up sort of thing. Oh, dude, other other characters did start to follow that exact mold. I mean, you look at mm. like Bubsy, I think does actually do the screen knocking right. thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Every character after Sonic had an idle animation. But, yeah, but look, at, sure. look at the characters before Sonic and look at the characters after. And I think you'll see a sudden shift yeah. in this like acknowledgement of the player. Yeah. And I think it's something really important to his character that mm. they that they really got right right at the first game. Tapping yeah. his watch and all that. Yeah. Creators Naoto Oshima and Hirokazu Yasuhara settled on a hedgehog mascot in part because of its form. A hedgehog in a video game could curl up into a ball, roll around and do damage with its spiky covering. But Sega tested other ideas, including an armadillo, a porcupine, a dog... <laughs> and an old guy with a moustache who eventually became Eggman Robotnik while searching for that mascot the hedgehog was the most popular Oshima said people pointed at it and liked it second was Eggman third was a dog <laughs> this was kind of pleasantly surprising I was asking myself I wonder why it is the conclusion to me was that by a lot of people choosing the hedgehog it will transcend race gender different types of people. We wanted a character that kids could draw, Oshima said, a cartoon animal on a par with Mickey Mouse, Felix the Cat or Doraemon. The team wanted their new mascot to be instinctively familiar, almost instantly recognisable and affectionate. The biggest challenge for us was that we needed to overcome was to how to create a character that represents Sega, Oshima said, so, something that could carry the weight of the company on its shoulders and define what Sega is with one image. Mm. They chose to make their character blue, to match the company's logo. That's all from an interview from Polygon, uh, March 2018, with Mike McWhirter. Uh, Halo Fandango from our forum just says, Sonic was so influential to me that as a kid in my local park, I used to run around the children's racetrack pretending I was Sonic, although my running speed left a little bit to be desired. Uh, I definitely, I again, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely remember kids running around being Sonic. And I th you still see it to this day. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, the character is still quite popular among children. Obviously, Minecraft, Roblox, Fortnite, etc., uh, has kind of eclipsed. But I, I'm pretty sure I still see like kids merch for, yeah. for Sonic. On the, on the school runs that I do every day, like there are kids there. There are two, like two every day. There's a Sonic thing in their hands every day, and oh, really? and, and there's one that has Mario. You know, there's quite a few Mario's here and there, and, and Switch or like fake Switch lunchboxes, which is quite amusing. But there's the Sonic ones always stand out to me because it's like huh. I can't believe it. Like it, the Sonic is still really relevant, and like but they're in, still in, making like, games, you know, and 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 I think there's still an active cartoon, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah. Sounds Sonic like Boom's sounds going. quite right. Yeah. And you know, like right. in these days, you know, the the three D platformer of that kind of style, it, you don't really see them every day like you used to do on the Mega Drive. So no. when when they do come out, I imagine the kids, it, you know, Ivy does know who Sonic is, and Amy Rose is Ivy's favorite. That's my daughter, by the way, uh, favorite character. She's like, right. I like Amy Rose, and she runs around, and she reckons she's got a hammer in her hand. Like the characters resonate still nowadays. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it's amazing to see because. Like Sonic's kind of crescendo for me was on the Mega Drive, but the games must still do some work now. You know, they what I mean? do, and a lot of younger folks. I mean, everybody has their different favorite. We kind of mentioned that before with another thing, but like you know, if you started with the 3D games, then probably love those the most. But they set out to make a Mickey Mouse style character, right? And I think they actually succeeded. 
just yeah. along with Nintendo and Mario, where mm-hmm. they're they're both two of the few characters that have persisted after that original generation of release. Uh, so many other mascots, they just didn't make it. Yeah, absolutely. On uh, on Eggman or Doctor Ivo Robotnik. Yuji Naka said in a 2006 interview that Eggman was Sonic's nickname for his enemy and meant not only to be insulting, but also somewhat affectionate. <laughs> there you have it. Uh, it's a kind of wacky design, uh, Eggman. It's interesting to know that at one point he might have been the, the playable character. Uh, I guess that would have ended up meaning that Sega would have had a, a portly mustachioed icon <laughs> as well as as well as Nintendo, which could have been complicated. Uh, but I do kind of, again, I think Eggman's face, the one they ended up with, and I know it's kind of changed over the years, uh, as much as I think the pictures I've seen of Jim Carrey at the end of the Sonic movie as mm. uh, as him are a little bit freaky, I think the actual, the design of Eggman or Robotnik's face is uh, is pretty striking. It's got a slightly uneasy, yeah. clownish horror to it. It's cool. You don't really see his eyes ever. You just kind of see the glasses. That's creepy. That's, prob- that's probably it. Reviewist from the forum says, I knew Sonic Inside Out. I played it until I had Sega thumb and used to stand up while playing tricky parts and raise up on my toes while straining to make Sonic leap to difficult areas. Leading to the amazing moment when a relative walked into the room and after watching me play for a few minutes, tapped me on the shoulder and said, you do realise you're not a blue hedgehog. You're a boy playing a game. Good. I don't want this machine giving you delusions of grandeur. Bless you, Aunt Thelma, wisest of us all. I think we all had a relative like that. Yes, <laughs> I see. I, I see this behaviour uh, replicated with uh, with my niece and and her grandfather sometimes, uh, but I think the uh, the the bit that resonated particularly with me there is the uh, is the raising up on your toes to to make Sonic leap to difficult areas and the mm. fact that I'm I'm now nearly I'm nearly forty nine years old and I still notice myself clenching various muscles even though you know it's it's hardly a, a pro gamer move but. <laughs> But I still find myself just trying to, you know, it's not just Sonic, but but it, it has a particular way of making me kind of, I, you know, I'm, I stop short of actually sliding the control around in the air like uh, like I've seen people doing. But uh, yeah. on like you've seen people doing on advertisements from those characters, <laughs> from the the yeah no I I do the thing where I sit forward like when I'm trying to do something uh trying good, to focus good. on something and i don't usually notice that i'm doing it until my back hurts and then i'm like oh right i should not yes, do that i do that too and it's just like you catch yourself and you're like oh wait oh, relax sit back <laughs> this is not motion controls and this <laughs> doesn't that, help um, yeah the one that used to get me when 3d games were first kicking around on the playstation etc was trying to look into the tv and around the corner <laughs> oh, yeah. you're like what's around the corner <laughs> well, we can't no that's not how it works like vr's not here yet i still do it in yeah. 3d stuff you i still like, find you myself your head up looking yeah. over like that's not going to make a difference is it yeah just it can't is. unteach your brain <laughs> you need vr uh so yeah well, let's talk about the graphics because um i, I would say we we sort of touched on the 8-bit versions graphics which i think for for the machines they were on are really bright and colorful and uh, despite a few technical issues are, are very cool but i really want to talk about the, the the mega drive versions visuals because i thought the game looked stunning in 1991 and i play it now on my you know much larger screen on the switch version or whatever and i still think this game looks absolutely brilliant 
I it, yeah. it's just so vibrant and it's just so mm. everything's clear and everything tells you exactly what it is and a lot of the effects like the water and the the parallax all still really I find it all really effective and sucks me right into the world the huge variation between the different levels um I, I think it's extraordinary how well the visuals on this game have stood the test of time in in my mind anyway yeah I agree it's top tier pixel art from that era uh, and it has a very unique design, that very pop art, sort of very colorful aesthetic. Uh, they kind of are going for that early SGI look, I think. Yeah. Like in terms yeah. of like they're thinking about 3D shapes when they made these patterns. But obviously at that time, there wasn't really much going on in terms of like digitizing actual 3D renders, thankfully. Uh, so you have this sort of like pixel artist rendition of those ideas. And it creates these mm. really just like interesting looking stages and designs and they uh they were really like tapping into what the mega drive could do in a way that we really hadn't seen before yeah uh because you know it can support a much wider range of tiles per map than like say the nes could so you have all these different like curves and turns and like the loops and just lots of smooth structure to the map design that was just really really exciting and interesting and it really focuses on parallax scrolling which is actually, I think that's where you mentioned earlier, like, oh, yeah, the Japanese version had some differences. And that's kind of like one of the biggest right there is that yeah. because of they had extra time to finish the Japanese version, they actually had figured out how to improve their parallax scrolling technique. And essentially what they're doing is like um, it's like basically like interrupts where they're say like, OK, partway down the screen, they update one scan line at a different rate than the other. They already did this for the water in the first on the US release, which gives it that 3D effect. But the Genesis only has that single scrolling background layer. They just figured out a way to make it look like many more layers. But if you notice, none of the layers actually cross one another. You can fake that with sprites, of course, but. So this is how they create that effect. And they essentially evolved their technique in the time between those two versions. So every level now has much more complex parallax scrolling. So like, I think Marble Zone is a good example. In the mm. US version and the European version, the background itself is completely just, it's just a static image, right? Uh, you see all the different layers, but it doesn't like, it, it scrolls separately from the main field, but it's flat. Whereas in the Japanese version, the the brick wall that's below uh, scrolls separately from the bushes in front of it, which scrolls separately from like the mountain, the mountains, which scrolls separately from the sky and all those layers move at a different rate, which really gives you this additional feeling of like a three dimensional background. Huge depth. Yeah, and this is, sure. this is something they would do in every other Sonic game going forward, but it just shows like how they were continuing to evolve their technique, like right up until the end. Uh, but there was still room to grow, I think, with their technology, as we would see uh, both in Sonic CD, which has a ton of slowdown, and in any mods that people would later do where they would try to build maps within the constraints of Sonic 1, uh, which would also run into a lot of slowdown issues where the engine was clearly not fully optimized yet, and it would get better. But uh, so, But Sonic 1 itself was designed in a way where it doesn't usually have issues with performance. Yeah. Uh, another reason, if you do have one of the the re-releases that gives you the option, generally, if it's a single ROM option, like I think the PS3 and 361, it, it's based on the international ROM. But if you've got, say, one of the M2 versions, choose the international one because then you get the extra Paranax. Plus, they also yeah. fixed the 
the issue with uh, with the original game, which is the kind of uh, trapped on spikes death glitch. It's not really a glitch, but it was just a, a mechanical shortcoming. So you can lose all your rings and then die before you've got a chance mm. to get one back where where they, they give you a, a little limited period of in, invulnerability on the yep. Japanese version, which is nice. Uh, Darren, how do you feel about the visuals 30 years later? Oh, man, the... the... The checkerboard stuff is like imprinted in my brain whenever I think Iconic. about Sonic. It's yeah. just so good. Like it's you know it's like Battenberg cake, but Sonic levels is great. Like it's just so I love it, man. Like when Sonic Generations was was announced and you know they they did Green Hill Zone in 3D and it was like ah oh, that's exactly what I wanted from you know hmm. 3D Sonic game. Sure, like people like Sonic Adventures and that, but seeing like even Chemical Plant Zone, which doesn't have much checkerboarding at all, like but seeing those kind of that kind of style that's unique to Sonic. I reckon you could take a level, each level from Sonic the Hedgehog, like each each kind of zone, so to speak. Well, zone to speak. And um, you could like take a little snapshot of each level and go, right, what game is that from? And you'd know. And then, you know, you, you could definitely tell what level you were looking at because it's just so unique. You know, not so unique. It's unique no, I to agree. itself. I, it doesn't look like anything else. Sonic, Sonic does really, to me, uh, other than clones and and mimics that came along later the world of sonic is quite unlike any other kind of set of visuals that i can think of in a game it, it feels it. like it, it itself and only itself it's the, it, like, from the minute you see sonic in the uh, in the title screen at the start you've got the waterfalls you've got the checkerboarding you've got the blue skies it, it that title screen sets more of an impression for, for me personally than say mario 1 and mario like mario 3 is a different story because that's quite a theatrical thing um, but yeah, like just the whole opening to Sonic the Hedgehog sets the scene perfectly. And then you're into Green Hill Zone, which is thematically linked to the title screen. And uh, I do, from, from my taste, I do feel like the game sort of dwindles off in terms of personality. But again, mm. that's, that's, that's comparing it to Green Hill Zone, which is arguably, you know, Mario 1-1, Green Hill Zone 1. Like they're, they're you know, they're comparable to one another. Yeah, um, yeah you know, I, I really like the stum... The, oh, I can't remember the names of them now. They were here. The, you know, the, the, the pinball-esque one. where it's Springyard. Called, Springyard. Yeah. I get that and Starlight mixed up, but Starlight's got the uh, the excellent music Stars. to go with it. Yeah. There you go, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, for me, like, Starlight Zone's got a bit too much of a plain background going on, and I understand it's kind of, it's going for a different aesthetic, but I feel like Sonic Strength, for me, uh, the, the checkerboard foreground with a very interesting background, and you've got something that's just absolutely captivating. Busyness, yeah. Um, Leah, does it does it still do it for you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I I like um I like that they are are able to pull off kind of the different themes, which I mean is is not an unusual thing for a platformer, especially a platformer of that era to you know have a it's got a green thing, it's got a it's you know a a like a um field level and it's got a you know a lava, a lava level bit. and it's got yeah. a space level and I mean and and. That's fine. I like that. That's something that I like about uh, my platformers, you know, especially my like cartoony platformers. I, I want to mm. see kind of the the interpretations on those different themes. Um, and I, I actually really like the I'm, I'm a sucker for a space level. Um, so I, I really like it's this one or it's um, the uh, the space level from um, Super Mario Land 2 um, is, is the other oh, one yeah. that, that I always think of. Those are those are kind of my my top tier space levels uh, in, in early platformers or early for me, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but yeah, I, I still think that, uh, that everything in this holds up. 
uh and and i think that's probably why something like um sonic generations which i I assume we'll get to someday maybe um (laughs) holds Mm -hmm. up as well because you know they're kind of pulling from this original stuff that is still really solid and on the technical side there are some uh there's some little moments of uh technical shortcomings i suppose you'd call them occasional small bits of slowdown nothing too major but um the 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 sprite flicker is uh on some of the background uh is the thing that i remember particularly the movable blocks just um mm. kind of getting like a, a a stripe through them a line just some some weird technical hang up but you know it was nothing that ever bothered me as such it was just a oh okay yeah this is this is probably pushing the machine quite a lot I still do it now, though, in Marble Zone when you're on that movable block on the lava. Yeah. If you jump and he doesn't do the ball animation, he just jumps as regular Sonic standing still. Ah, yeah. That is like, that's like pausing it when Bowser's in the full screen on Super Mario World at the end fight, you know. That's kind of like, I wonder if I can get Sonic to jump without doing the jumping animation. Yes, I can do that. And then you pause it and you feel, you feel cool for a split second. Is that when he's right on the edge? Yeah, right on the edge. And you yeah. jump and he just kind yeah. of just, yeah, he, he doesn't do the, the little ball animation. He just stays... Uh, you know, regular Sonic. Yeah, stuff like that really kind of fascinates me. And I used the, um, you know, as an XQA tester for many, many games, like that kind of stuff probably planted a seed. It's like, why does he do that? Why doesn't yeah. he do the animation? And I worked out, you know, you repro it and you do that and this. And and then I found out the game had like a debug mode where, where you could just pour co- um, coins, excuse me, rings into the level <laughs> and uh, absolutely just annihilate the Mega Drive's performance. And uh, yes, <laughs> I do think that uh, GoldenEye and Sonic the Hedgehog were probably two reasons why I ended up getting into QA in a huh. professional way. Ah, I did a lot of that on a, you know, non-professional level. I was 10 or whatever, but um, I, I, <laughs> I remember that it, since I was playing through this game so many times and, and you know, I was really kind of drilling down on stuff i would do stuff like try to um you know get sonic to do the kind of falling off a ledge like on teetering Teetering. on the ledge animation um but not actually on a ledge which is surprisingly easy to do because Uh, i guess you can kind of get him onto the edge of one tile and not uh, not quite on the other one yet Mm -hmm. uh or uh similar to the the jumping but not in the in the ball animation there's the if you're pushing something uh, and it <laughs> drops, you'll stay in the pushing animation yeah, for a little bit longer, and it just kind of looks like he's pushing on nothing for a while. And I, I don't know, I got a big kick out of that kind of stuff. It's um, funny because all that stuff would probably, a lot of it would have been QA'd out, even if it had been, yeah. even if they'd had more time or, mm. or it had been a later release. But actually, it adds to the sort of fascination. I just felt very special for finding that kind of thing as, <laughs> yeah, you know, you do, a, yeah, it's a great. Small, smaller person. I had one today, actually, where the, um, in Marble Zone, you've got those large spiky claw things that slam down on sonic mm. i got slammed down upon but instead of dying or you know losing a life he got pushed into the scenery and kind of like walked to the left a little bit it was really odd i'd never seen it before I yeah. was like, wow. speed run you tactics wrote, <laughs> you wrote a bug report yeah yeah did it yeah you, you know, said, <laughs> right, i'll get on it priority what yeah. what low <laughs> it's very low yeah it's, it's not a low. soft lock or anything it's fine um but while we're on the art and aesthetic and stuff, like, why, why are there TVs that he jumps upon? Is there a reason for it? I don't really know. Because like, that's all the um, the power-ups, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't uh, seem to be linked to anything else, does it? I think there's CRTs, a lot of... Yeah, there's just a lot of stuff, which is... Yeah, it's just like, I don't know. They that That's the thing I like about the game, is it's so fanciful, fanciful and abstract. Mm. And as I say, nowhere is that probably demonstrated more than the almost psychedelic special stages. Oh, yeah. 
which again, like I don't think we're, we're coming on to the gameplay, listener. Don't worry, <laughs> but um, I don't think those necessarily hold up that well in terms of gameplay. They're quite frustrating, but in terms of the the visual, the audio visual side, it was like so like beguiling and entrancing. I remember when I was good at those. I, I yeah, swear same. I was. Not same. Anymore, never good at them. You just fooling yourself. I could do it. I could do six Chaos Emeralds with yeah. with no with I no, got no four problem. on this last playthrough, uh, and I'm That's really mad at myself because one of the one one of the ones that I missed was the very first one, um, ah. and I was upset with myself for that. It's but, the way uh, you can't actually see where the goal, which you know, it's yeah, the, the, the the bits that you don't want to touch uh, mm. are barely on screen. You know, before you mm. fall into them, I, and the fact that you don't really have a lot of control is. Um, <laughs> I remember being a kid thinking, oh, it says goal there. I must go there. Yeah, and right. Ended the <laughs> stage. It's like, that is not a goal. That is like doom. Bad choice <laughs> of words. Yeah. Magical Isopod says, what I like about Sonic is the art direction. Being a platformer of the early 90s, a lot of the worlds and assets here are abstractions, not cohesive spaces or even things we recognize. It's all a combination of shapes and assets cobbled together to be a video game. But that holds a certain appeal in itself. Everything feels very ethereal, very alien. Sonic exists not in a world we can visit, but in some weird dimension. And its little oddities, the purple water in Scrap Brain 3, the creepy faces in the background of Labyrinth Zone, the word cope scrawled randomly in Springyard Zone. This sort of artwork in games is almost lost now, as games try to build these cohesive worlds. Sonic to me always felt like those artsy graphics tech demos of early computing, just these weird abstractions that catch your attention. And I think Sonic, an anthropomorphic hedgehog with super speed, fits better in a world of abstractions than in, say, a scenario that resembles reality. I couldn't agree more with Isopod there. That's one of the issues for me, like where Sonic started to lose me was around, you know, 98, 99, when he was suddenly appearing in cities and beaches and you know like that's not where i that's not where i want my son i like him in this colorful beautiful slightly other fantasy world i think the audio is again um almost un undeniably iconic like it or not oh, yeah. like the the ring sound in this game is obviously just uh, and even just some of the like the end of level sounds i've heard them used in other places on TV, on radio, and adverts. Uh, what about and... the cash registers where they use the ring yeah, sound? There's so it. many of those out there. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's also stuff like the 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 little poink when you pop an enemy is just delicious. It's never stopped feeling delicious to me. It's partly the the sort of the feel of the game at that point as well, but it's enhanced and embellished by that sound effect. Obviously, all the poings and springs and doinks and whooshes. No other, no other sound chip in a in a in a video game console, other than some of the other machines that used very similar ones, uh, could sound quite like this. And it is something that is slightly lost when playing any other uh, port or emulation of this game. Is that it will never mm. sound quite like it did on a Mega Drive One. Even a Mega Drive Two would have uh, will have lost some of the magic because of the they. They they changed that chip slightly, didn't they? But hey, not um, not even all Mega Drive ones either. I mean, oh, really? there are variations okay. there as well. That's the thing. Uh, so, but still, uh, uh, even on say the yeah the Switch version that I've been back to and the 3DS version, uh, the, the the soundscape to me is still yeah pretty yeah. special. You know, I have a weird one uh, that that I always think of, and it's the um, 
uh, in Marble Zone, um, when you have to push the blocks, just the 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 sound that the block makes when you push it to like to, yeah. to drop it onto it. it it just sounds so gritty like oh, it actually yeah, sounds yeah. like you're pushing a cement block or a you mm, know it's a like stone crunchy block. sounding yeah. yeah yeah I like that. I don't know that's 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 no, one I that. that I that I think of that doesn't get brought up enough so shout out shout outs to good shout just out. general really good use <laughs> of the of the sound hardware on that thing like mm. they they very well tapped into what the system was capable of in a way that a lot of other earlier games maybe did not. Hmm. Uh, and it just it works. They made iconic yeah. sounds from that specific sound chip. Uh, yeah, for me, it's the shield noise when you pick it up. It's just so, yeah, it's so good. And you know the um <laughs> the 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 wub wub the kind yep. of noise you get when you uh you grab an air bubble. It's just it's in the it's in my brain. And it you know is. the the whole noise before that is kind of anxiety inducing. The older. The Jaws like music, I guess. Oh, the jingle, the water jingle. Yes, John mentioned it in the virtual green room. Yeah, you can't think about Sonic without thinking about the. Please generate that that one air bubble, which is on a slight bit of RNG, in that it you know it will appear within a certain time frame, but sometimes it leaves it just a little bit longer, just to make you sweat. Yeah, extraordinary stuff, and even more extraordinary in a way is that, uh, given the the number of channels available, that um, that this all works. While I think there are some bits where a channel drops out and and certain sounds are brought to the fore, but the the music is running the whole time as well, and the music for, again for the time sounded extraordinary extraordinarily sophisticated, uh, even compared to some of the audio that we'd already heard on the Mega Drive. Uh, in the games that came out in 88 and 89, even 1990. Uh, so they gave the the job to Dreams Come True bassist uh, Masato Nakamura for the 16-bit versions. Um, going back to this game, one of the huge pleasures of it, even if some of the game players now, you know, maybe a little old and, and whatever, the hearing all the different level themes again just, just carries me through. And yeah, there's a huge nostalgia facet to that. And, and I'm completely fine with that but i think just genuinely these these are clearly the compositions of somebody who was very good at writing pop music but not only pop but it's atmospheric stuff yeah what's interesting though is i don't know if you guys heard it but you know nakamura dreams come true he actually they brought uh green hill zone back for an oi ocha like ad in japan recently and it Ah. has like lyrics I might I have to link that, that to you later, but if it's yes, actually please. like surprisingly awesome, but it's a proper dreams come true, like new version of that song with like lyrics behind it and oh. everything. And it was created for this commercial, but it sounds Super. like really good. Actually, it's great. I was going to say I'm also a really big fan of the Mars System um, soundtrack. Mm. Which oh to, yeah, to the point where I used to walk around humming this one tune, not knowing what it was, and then I was like, I'm, sh-, and I, you know, I played the the Mars System game or. Something like that. And I was like, this is the tune. It's the bridge tune from Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> yep. like, it was just an earworm for ages without it, me really realizing that I'd stored it in my brain. It's um, re- a really catchy soundtrack. And that was, of course, Yuzo Koshiro. So, Absolutely. You know, like an absolute uh, master of game music. A legend. Oh, already doing it there. I think we forgot, I, I forgot to say earlier, uh, Ayano Koshiro was the director and lead artist on the 8-bit yeah. versions and her brother, uh, you did the music so i mean what well, uh, yeah i've mentioned we've mentioned them many times before on kane rinse but just uh and their stupidly. mom managed all the business side with that's an iron right. fist yeah <laughs> apparently so 
<laughs> wonderful stuff. Yeah, so Yuzo took some of uh, Nakamura's themes and yeah. did the best he could with them on what was an extremely limited sound chip. SG kind of thing. Yeah. Which, by the way, that's that's kind of a fun thing about the Mega Drive Genesis in general is that it still has that PSG generator. That's right. Right? Yeah. And, like, so most of the best soundtracks use a mix of FM synth, mm. PSG, and then the, the, the digital audio channel or whatever you want to call it, the PCM. And so, it's like, mad. you combine all of those things together to create those amazing scores. And, uh, yeah, but he did Master System stuff as well and did it really well just using the PSG. Yeah, you can, uh, if you play, uh, it's a shame M2, as part of their Sega Vintage collections on the last gen machines, di- or the last last gen machines, didn't do uh, a Sonic collection. They did uh, They did Golden Axe and um, Shinobi and uh, 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 what was the other set? Toe Jam and Earl. And, uh, and there's one other that my brain is, is currently... Oh, Streets of Rage, of course. But there's a music player on those which shows you which of the chips is being used and to what level at any point. So you can get a kind of oh, yeah. cool, cool, wind- cool window into just how much complexity was going on in, in that sound programming from Kashiro. But Darren make, makes a really good point that as well as all those absolutely rock-solid, memorable melodies from the 16-bit game, Kashiro then translated some of those to the to the master system but also came up with a bunch of his own tunes which again for fans of the 8-bit versions kids who had had the game gear or the master system then are mm-hmm. every bit as important as uh-huh. the the original uh, masato nakamura pieces even just like the um the little jingle you get when you're on the world map which is quite you know it's different to the mega drive one there's a world map of sonic's that's you know, right. play field and it's like you know level yeah. one green hill and you're like wow we got a little map of the uh, the whole environment and then it plays this little jingle that just signifies very much like wave race 64 when it goes yeah. you know dolphin park or whatever and it goes it's like that but in for sonic the oh, Hedgehog, yeah, yeah. you know like just <laughs> these little jingles and stuff that the, the japanese games have it's just so ah oh, yeah it sends a little tingle down my spine it's great I mean, we must talk about actually playing Sonic. I think, um, obviously, we're we're already quite long, and I think everyone knows what Sonic is about. So I suppose I want to focus on some of the some of the the, the highlights and lowlights of playing Sonic both then and now, because I think there's often a lot oh, just yeah. just talked about his the the speed of the game and all this kind of thing. And I think if there's one criticism that comes up over and over again, and I think we'll hear it from a correspondent going forward is that a lot of people who don't like Sonic much at all or Mega Drive Sonic in particular, it's the fact that on level one, you pretty much, or world one even, you pretty much get to barrel your way at top mm. speed if you want through those first few stages. You can speed run them. Uh, there's there's incentive to kind of do it really fast with a with a massive score bonus if you get to the end within uh, 30 seconds or whatever it is. And that's all well and fun. And that seems to be what everybody, or not everybody, well, a lot of people think Sonic should be uh, uh, exclusively that. Mm-hmm. And yet, as soon as you get to level two, and by the way, originally level two was going to be Labyrinth Zone, but Oof. they they moved that much further back in the game because they realized it was considerably more challenging. You mm-hmm. get to Marble Zone and you have to stop and slow down and right do around, yeah. tra- traditional platforming things. Now, I was always absolutely fine with that, which I guess is why I've always loved Sonic the Hedgehog games. But I think a lot of for a lot of people, 
after after the green hill zone it just becomes another platformer so i'm wondering what what do you what do all you guys feel about that uh, the, the notion of speed versus exploration has always plagued my mind when playing sonic i don't know if i'm ever playing it right but i'm having fun so therefore i must be but there's so much to explore in these levels but if you hold down down on the d-pad you can in the, in the first world you can just whiz through them as at some point sonic literally leaves the screen if you go that fast you can get the, um, <laughs> yeah. the running boots and you're just off and you're literally off screen you're like yes this game's really fast and then you get to marble zone and you are just like okay just plodding around just waiting for lava to you know shift me along and um you know it, it does set the kind of the standard for sonic really like you know the game is both but to but the marketing's all about going fast and how quick he is and mm. all of a sudden he's telling you off for standing still but literally <laughs> you are standing still in some of the levels you're like well i it really is like i don't know what this game is trying to tell me and um yeah i think putting marble zone second because labyrinth zone was too hard but like marble marble zone second to tell you to stop every now and again mm. and once you do apply the you know the notion of slowing down and stopping in green hill zone you just see like a whole world of secrets and you're like this game yes. is just crazy it's busy but how many how many people have actually seen you know the hidden depths within green hill zone because they can just hold down down and bomb through it like even ivy when she first played it same as um emerald hill zone actually on on the, on the second game yeah she just she just ran through it as if it was nothing so there's there's that to encourage new players, but also it doesn't really do a good job of explaining how Sonic can be if you just stopped and smelled the roses, so to speak. <laughs> Which you can almost literally do because there's flowers everywhere. Smell the Amy roses. <laughs> Devil's advocate, um, you can still go pretty fast in Marble Zone and after if you are yep. good at it. Yep. And by good at it, I don't mean, oh my god, I am the best at video games ever, but I did play that game a lot. Yeah. So I, I think maybe that's partially at least, or it can be, a replayability thing. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Because, you know, you can you can go either direction, right? You can you can do like like Darren was saying and slow down in some of the levels so that you can kind of pick off some of the uh the secrets, which some of those I will tell you are still very firmly embedded in my brain yeah. even after however many years. Um but you can also, by the same tactic, you know, kind of challenge yourself if you are so inclined to bust through some of those later levels really quickly. Uh and it 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 I think I think that that's a really clever thing to do because it leaves because it's not a super long game if you um if you just go straight through it so it gives you a reason to to kind of go back to it in uh in in those those respects or it did for me anyway yeah John uh, yeah I agree oh man so I've actually I'm, I'm, it's interesting to hear you guys say this stuff about it but a lot of the online discourse actually a lot of people seem to be of the opinion that Sonic is too fast they can't see what's coming they constantly mm, run into that's things. also true yeah I've heard and that yeah the thing is though is I've actually so I was curious about that so I've actually watched people play the game mostly like friends and such that didn't like Sonic mm. and the thing that I always saw is that the people that don't like the game never really got the whole press down thing you know what i mean like you mentioned before right like you press yeah, down you yeah. roll uh yeah. and they didn't get that and what would happen then is you're running you start to get up speed you just hit an enemy you're like well i yeah. couldn't see the enemy and now i got hit uh and i think that's something that's really important to the gameplay like you have to know that 
when you as soon as you gain speed, you want to press down and roll into yeah. a ball, and then the momentum keeps going. And mm. I think the momentum system is a huge part of the appeal, the yeah. way they implemented that in there. But if you don't get it, you're just going to keep bumping into things. And I feel like it's almost like back in the day, patience was higher for things like this, you yeah. know, and it was new enough and exciting enough that people would like, oh, stick with it and just kind of learn through play. Oh, but now you hear, you know, if you're not really into it, you just kind of jump into it and people are very quick to give up on this stuff. Like, oh, this is frustrating. I don't want to play this. I just bumped into that enemy. That's annoying. Um, but really, mm. like, if, if you're somebody listening to this and you've had trouble playing Sonic in the past, it really is worth, like, playing with this idea of, like, as soon as you build up speed, press down, hold down. When you roll into the ball, that's the whole thing about the enemies is there are enemies placed in the way. But when you're in ball form, you just go right through them. Uh, and sorry, man, like they're talking about pressing down and breaking through stuff. The walls that you can break down in Green Hill Zone. The amount of people who are who I've seen just walk into that wall and go, "What do I do?" You're like, "Well, you you roll, you press down, and you roll through these this wall, and you can break through it." It's even got like a bit of artistic flair to let you know that it is a breakable wall. But people yeah. just bump into it and just go, "Well, I need hmm. to go up and around I, it." And... I know, I've seen this, and I, you know, the momentum system does take a little bit to learn i can imagine it's been so long since i've first played it that it's hard yeah, to remember that but i feel like you know most people kind of got it back in the day to a degree uh mm. but it you know that's the thing i like about this game though is that there is actually a learning curve and like you know uh leah said there uh you can begin to do things quickly as you play and that's actually one of the best qualities of this game is that the more you play the better you get and there's always this sense that you can do better. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it it keeps you going. Like, if you play a platform game and you just, like, blast through it, no problem, then it's like, eh, whatever. But in Sonic, you always feel like, man, is there something I missed? Could I do that part faster and better? Mm. Uh, and to me, that always kind of kept me coming back. And the more you play, you just feel like you're you're performing better at the game, and that's fun. And that's what makes it so darn replayable. Mm. I think there are still some secrets I've never found. I was certainly somebody who, while I enjoyed, and I was certainly struck by that initial sensation of going fast and rolling up and down surfaces. Again, for the younger listener, you won't necessarily appreciate just how big a deal it was having slopes in in a game like this. Mm. Uh, and loops was uh, was an astonishing thing. But I was always very happy to pick my way slowly through the levels, trying to find all the extra tvs and the there's a number of places where you go behind walls and again i think in a modern game you would have some kind of indication that these things were there and there are in a few cases there'll be a hint of a uh, of a tv screen that you can just about see but sometimes there are bits in in some some of the stages where literally there is no clue that you can go through a wall you just learn eventually that there's a place you can go behind a wall and if you go along a bit, you'll find a whole pile yeah. of TVs with with extra extra rings and stuff. So it rewarded experimentation. But yeah, I always enjoyed going. For instance, um, Green Hill Two, I think it is. You kind of uh, th- there's effectively three different main paths through the level yep, uh, over exactly. three different tiers. Mm. And I, I would very happily go as far as you can on one, and then go all the way back to the beginning do the second one and then again and that's the best way to maximize your rings and score and chaos emeralds from uh well not chaos emeralds because that's more sonic 2 where you can kind of re-go through the checkpoints but 
Um, but here, you know, you can uh, you can give yourself a massive stock of lives by playing the early levels well, which is uh, which is important. Yeah, and I think Sega wanted you to explore because they gave you the the ability to look up and down up and, and down, move the yeah. screen. Yeah, so there was obviously a reason for it, and uh, you know, obviously so, but. You just want to go fast, don't you? That's what you want to do, man. That's what the game's all about. It wants to make a mockery of other platform games around it by being 10 times as quicker. Yeah, as a kid, that's what I wanted to do. That's a really good point, though, as well. It really is about, there's a lot of exploration there. And I guess it is kind of about whatever you want it to be. You know, if you want to to go fast, you can. If you want to explore, you can. And that also tempts you to come back. It's like when you get through a level, you often feel like, oh, there was more stuff I didn't see. Mm. Uh, but what's great is you could replay it, but in most stages you can actually just go back and it's like, yeah. Oh, I missed, I fell all the way down to the bottom path. I could just keep going and beat the level. But what if I wanted to go see what was up top? You could actually kind of run back and find a way back up to the top path and find some secrets up there. And, uh, it really kind of allows you a lot of freedom to both explore, but also go fast. And I, I think that that's another key part of its appeal. Hmm. Joe Bonobo on Green Hill Zone says Green Hill's design allows the player to zip along at speeds previously thought unimaginable. The detailed backgrounds, the tropical aesthetic, that incredible music. The genius of Green Hill is undoubtedly what made Sonic a household name and is the very essence of the character for many. It's just a pity that the rest of the game rarely reaches that high. The first Sonic is rather inconsistent in terms of level design and quality, with half being great speedy fun and the other slow and frustrating it certainly does play a lot differently than what the marketing hype for the blue mammal would have us believe was a non-stop roller coaster of a game however i do think that these two conflicting design philosophies of speed and precision platforming start to meld together far more smoothly in later mega drive titles regardless of these issues this is the game that laid the foundation of those more polished sequels and the highlights of this game were for me very high indeed that i do still like this overall Sonic was what really got me fascinated in this hobby that still endures to this day. And for that, I will always owe this cool dude with attitude, eternal gratitude. (laughs) Interesting. Hmm. Busker Lily says several times I've tried to go back to Sonic the Hedgehog on Wii Virtual Console and again on Switch. The first zone, tremendous. The speed, the music, the visuals. Then there are the rest of the zones where Sonic has to slow down and try to do actual platforming or memorize the level like a long game of Simon. Boring, frustrating, guff. Rude. <laughs> I like the use of the word guff. It always gets me. Yeah, I nearly edited happen. that out because it, it's so uh, it's so much it's so much more negative than our usual sort of uh, take. But I thought he can have guff mm. if, if that's his opinion <laughs> or hers. Sorry, Buscalilli, I don't know. Dusk versus Tweak from the forum says last year when I finally sat down to play the game from start to finish, I did not love it as much as I remembered for a game. That's all about gotta go fast. The first title seems determined to slow you down in, in uh, kind of response to some of the, uh, mm-hmm. the um, correspondence. I, just my experience has, has been a little bit different, not, not necessarily because of this game, but because for me, I felt like, the balance was actually worse in later games Ah. because to me, it seemed like later games sort of go a lot harder into the just go. Mm -hmm. And some of them, some of them lost me with that, like, cause I wanted to slow down and kind of explore things and I didn't really get that opportunity. Now that that could just be, 
that I don't have as much experience with those and that, you know, I was not, um, not as familiar with them. Um, but yeah, if, if you, if you were to ask me about the balance, I, I would have looked at it a little bit differently than, uh, than it seems like some of our correspondents did. Yeah, on this, uh, and again, this is obviously, we, we will almost certainly come back to uh, Sonic in the future, probably Sonic 2 for its anniversary next year. Mm. Uh, but it is interesting, again, the perception, the wider perception, and this is only based on one conversation, but uh, but one of our Twitter followers was asking, uh, just randomly putting it out there, not specifically to us, like, I've never played a Sonic game, where should I start? And my response Ooh. was, Sega Ages, Sonic 1 on the Switch. I could have said the Android iOS version if I'd known more about it at the time. And uh, and now Ryan uh, came back with, but isn't Sonic 2 just better in every way? And I was like, no, I don't think that's, I don't yeah, think it's no. like, <laughs> I, 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 I remember when Sonic 2 came out, famously Games Master magazine here in the UK gave it something like 65%. They said, you know, this isn't as good as Sonic. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that. I thoroughly no. enjoy Sonic 2, mm. but... They're, the idea that they just got everything right in the sequel that they didn't in the first game is complete. It's, a, it's a, like it's half a different team for a start. Sonic 2 is a very American feeling game. Sonic 1 is, is very Japanese feeling to me. And I, and I think you can really tell the difference. So I definitely don't think it's a case of like, yeah, everything in the sequel was improved or, or anything like that. I think there are certainly things which I think maybe they the Sonic team itself might have considered doing differently in hindsight. But I mean, that's true of every game ever probably i don't know i think i think that what i'm getting at is mm. that there's it, it even more so than in some other titles or some other series i think that there is such a widespread of opinions oh, uh, sure. and and it it's it is uh, very reliant on your own personal experience i think somebody yeah. might have been you leon made the made the comparison of a, you know your first doctor who or your first mario or whatever yeah. and yeah I, I think that's you know I, I don't think there's a whole lot of objectiveness to be had in in sonic being better for one person or another it, yeah you're right and uh and it's, it's interesting obviously when uh, when i go on to our forum and we have our wonderful correspondences i don't uh, I don't know how much is is a case. I'm sure everyone you know brings their own honest opinions. It's interesting. Just sometimes you get a certain kind of movement in one direction or another as regards to sort of things that 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 we get back. Probably if I'd gone on Sonic fan sites, I would have got all kinds of uh, opinions that are different to these. But uh, I'll stick to mainly to our own correspondence. Mister Ixalite being one who says colorful two D platformers are my gaming bread and butter and number and the number one most important thing for me in two D platformers is feeling that I'm in control. But that just isn't the case in Sonic. As fun as it may look, when Sonic is sent careening across the screen by boosters and bounce pads and I see the level whiz whiz by below me only to eventually land on some platform I had no idea would be there, it feels chaotic. Even worse is when you're going at top speed and an enemy or hazard will appear from out of nowhere. A careful <laughs> approach. Yeah, and the, this is the uh, this is the, press the press down on the D-pad. A mm -hmm. careful approach can, of course, alleviate this somewhat. But ultimately, Sonic is a game begging you to play it fast from the start, and sometimes you will be directly launched into the face of danger anyway. Many will say that such things can be sussed out with practice or utilization of the game's different paths that the goal is to master the levels and eventually sail through them, but I don't really feel Sonic encourages. There's no way to replay levels short of starting the game over 
Game overs take you back to the start and the sprawling levels often feature points of no return, meaning you can't really explore them fully even if you wanted to. Even the old NES Mega Man games were more accommodating in terms of letting you keep at it until you got good. As such, while they're nothing spectacular, I kind of appreciate the more traditionally structured and so slow play, slow paced platforming sections of Sonic 1 compared to its successors. To me, the game was most playable when approached with care, but it was still poking me in the back the entire time to get going into some spikes. Yeah, I mean, that really... I think we have sort of had a spread of opinions about Sonic makes you go too fast, Sonic makes you go too slow, <laughs> Sonic uh, Sonic doesn't get the balance of fast and slow, right? Exactly as Leah's saying, like, you might want a particular thing from Mega Drive Sonic that it might not give, and maybe... Maybe that's the thing about the 8-bit versions is that it's they're kind of more consistent by their nature because of the technical limitations. Yeah, I think the, the Master System games, yeah, they, they want you just to reach the end of the level in terms of speed and exploration. They're, they're not as dense as the Mega Drive ones, so it's a probably a, if you're looking for a, just a straightforward platform, and the Master System games are, yeah, well, probably more straightforward. Springyard Zone, the pinball influenced area which of course kind of would go on in itself to inspire sonic spinball which is another kind of marmitey game uh originally called sparkling zone which is rather lovely the second act of springyard zone is one of only two stages in the history of sonic the hedgehog that has more than one possible exit talking about exploring levels Psycho Hype from the forum says, just like pop songs, video games need some kind of memorable hook to gain any traction. Sonic's high flying speed and loop-de-loops, as seen in the introductory Green Hill Zone, certainly made a lasting impression. And while subsequent levels didn't always retain that blistering sense of momentum, the core platforming mechanics were still pretty solid, even in more standard or straightforward levels like Marble or Labyrinth Zone. What I really like about Sonic's original outing is the simplistic sense of adventure. In order to save his animal friends, Sonic must go on a journey from the lush heart of nature, Green Hill Zone, into the claustrophobic industrial nightmare that is Scrap Brain Zone, one of my favourite level sets from the 16-bit games. If I had to levy at least one minor criticism, we could have done with a more reliable air bubble generator in the underwater portions of the game. Uh, the idea of having Sonic sink in water in Labyrinth Zone and other places, and need air, was implemented to give him more weaknesses and to challenge the player. But one of the reasons that Sonic can't swim is that Yuji Naka and other staff mistakenly thought that hedgehogs couldn't swim. Scrap Brain Zone originally was called the Clockwork Zone, but apparently they couldn't get the, word, the letter W to read very nicely in the font. Huh. Fair <laughs> enough. Oh, yeah. wow, okay. I didn't actually know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so Scrap Brain Zone, I had some issues on the Game Gear version with, uh, apparently they did add a lot of arrows and stuff to the graphics on the Game Gear to kind of give you an idea of where to go and what might be coming up. But I still had a lot of problems with those little, um, ro robotic pigs that chuck the, the barrels at you, Donkey Kong style yeah, right. in that section. I noticed that they give you lights, don't they? When you go through a doorway, you come out the other side and there's like a series of four lights and it gives you an indication of where you are based on what colour light is lit up. Yeah, it was maze-like, that last level on, uh, on the... Almost Metroid-esque. Yeah. Mm. yeah, very confusing. At least it's less confusing than uh, Sonic 2's Game Gear, one of its later uh, zones, where that thing is just like a maze of pipes. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. Read read your solution before you go in, maybe. Uh <laughs> 
Yeah, it reminded me a bit of uh, like Super Mario Brothers, the the final level where you have to take the right path. Oh kind of yeah, mm. right. Yeah. Uh, Seth from the forum says, seeing the original Mega Drive version of Sonic in action is one of my earliest and most vivid memories. My gaming career began with my dad's Spectrum and Amstrad, so for the first few years of my life, games didn't look more complex than Chucky Egg or Barbarian. But all of this changed when my sister's friend brought his newly acquired Mega Drive round to our house to show off Sonic. The game blew my mind. It was so colourful and fast, it was like a cartoon come to life. It also made Christmas for my parents an easy job that year, as there was only one thing that I wanted. Even my dad was a fan, which meant picking up the sequels wasn't an issue, despite the cost. While I already had a couple of gaming years under my belt before Sonic, it was the Blue Hedgehog that lured me deep into this world, and I never really left. One thing that's interesting in retrospect is how overplayed the idea of going fast is in the game. While Sonic has always been lighter on his feet than other mascots, what made the 2D games interesting was the verticality to the level design and multiple routes you could take to reach the end. Hmm. Yeah. Someone gets it. <laughs> <laughs> Not that the others are wrong uh, at all. On the 8-bit versions uh, levels, uh, well, there are a couple of uh, differences being uh, Jungle Zone, Bridge Zone and Sky Base Zone. The game overall is really quite small, isn't it? The the levels are very bite-sized, which I had no yeah. issue with. It was it was a breeze to play it through in the morning. I had a good time with it. It's good for the uh, battery life of the Game Gear, I would say. <laughs> good point, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said mine's always plugged in. Everyone. <laughs> yes. it never... But the, the thing that gets me with the Mars system and Game Gear games is that the Chaos Emeralds are just lying around. <laughs> like They're just like, you know... Yeah, I didn't know that was going to be the case. No, yeah, I just right. kind of ran into, into one at the, end of, Emerald, at the end of the level. That is weird. <laughs> It's strange. It's surprising they didn't still stuff them on tricky to reach platformers in the special stages. So as you'd imagine, listener, for that, those who haven't played, the special stages in the Game Gear version are, are very different, much more influenced yep. by Springyard Zone, just being kind of big bouncy s levels with springs at the bottom. And you're hunting for a continue TV, which is something you don't see uh, elsewhere. But yeah, so it's kind of weird that they didn't necessarily stick the Chaos Emeralds. But I, I suppose digging them out is quite fun. I don't, um, I don't know. I saw, I read one place that there's actually an extra level or an extra section if you get all the Chaos Emeralds in the Game Gear version, but I don't know if that's true. I thought it was just you get the true good ending or whatever. Couldn't Not so. Yeah. No. I don't know. I didn't get them all. No, so. no, I think I got, I got one. I think I got two or three. Yeah, they're quite well hidden. Replay value again. Uh, Sean S. Thomas says, I confess, I looked at friends who had the Mega Drive version with slightly green eyes, so much so that I bought that version too on the Switch to finally experience it. And having played both, they're actually very different games. Sonic on Mega Drive is a busy, insanely fast roller coaster of a game where at times I don't feel in control of proceedings. It establishes much of what makes the series so respected, such as the great soundtrack and over-the-top zones, but as a game I don't really enjoy playing it very much. Whereas the limitations of the master system for me help the game. Sonic is far smaller and that means you have greater visibility of what's ahead and time to react. The quieter backgrounds mean my eyes can focus more. The lack of memory means the levels are slightly shorter and the speed is still there. You just need to really, really know the levels to reach it. That's a great oh. encapsulation though of mm. having played the 8-bit version first, I guess. Yeah, but the limitations for me are where you lose your ring and you can't pick it up. <laughs> The one ring, or the well, the the one true ring that isn't even a true ring, because if yeah. you lose it, you lose it. 
And it's just a, it's just a horrible noise. It goes, and you lose that one ring and you're like, I can't pick it up because I'm falling backwards and it's flashing invisible, like, invincible, you know, and it just drops off the screen. You're like, wow, oh, this is just It's a, a weird choice that every boss is done unless you get there with some rings. No, it takes them all away, doesn't it? It takes them all away. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's a weird choice. So you have to do every boss without taking a hit. Now, yeah. I would say they're quite generally quite easy, relatively. But even so. And there's an extra life in every single one as well. You can find an extra life before you Yeah. You can take the boss down. So at least you get a chance at it before oh, okay. you Yeah, mm. you have to look they for can, it. The thing is though, is that now. they continued that throughout most of the game gear games and it actually really? got a lot harder. Ah. Like for the second game, the the first boss is like on this slope where it's a very steep slope and if you fall to the bottom you die. And they're constantly throwing these balls of different arcs yeah. at you while you're trying to avoid them. <laughs> and it's extra tight in the Game Gear version. That's like stage one. And it's the same thing where there's no rings in the boss stage. So uh, I feel like Sonic 1 got the balance pretty good mm-hmm. overall for that. But yeah. Oh, another thing I do want to mention about the 8-bit version that wasn't brought up. And this, this is a weird thing that I was obsessed with back in the day was the fact that the rings... Uh, they actually have multiple sprites, so they rotate. Yeah. Right? Just like on Mega Drive. And that's cool because uh, if you play the Mario games on the Game Boy, they did not have spinning mm. coins, mm-hmm. uh, which they did They did spin on the NES and Super NES, but they didn't right. spin on the Game Boy. But then when Sega brought Sonic to Game Gear, they had spinning rings. And I used <laughs> to think that was like the coolest thing. Like, oh, man, they got the spinning rings on Game Gear? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Extra sprites. Yeah. <laughs> Two bosses as well were heavily modified for the Game Gear version uh, compared to the Master System version, that is. Most notably, the boss of Bridge Zone appears on a tricky, curvy bridge rather than between two level terrains with an island in the middle. And the final boss in Skybase Zone Act 3 also had its defense mechanism changed entirely and does not enter a panic mode. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, the endings, as we say... Uh, is the, the, your motivation for collecting all six Chaos Emeralds, uh, Darren, is, uh, is, <laughs> is, you, is basically, as Leah said, to knock the smug look off Dr. Robotnik's face. Because uh, otherwise he's... saying spite is a powerful motivator for me. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, a good, it's a good reason. I'm just rubbish at the special stages. That's why I don't want to get yeah. in the first game. That's, that's if the you reason. do play the Mega Drive version with save states, just save before the special stages. That would be my, my <laughs> tip there. Otherwise, you don't really need to. Uh, the game's not, I would say, not wildly challenging overall. Um, the bosses, uh, again, we're on the 16-bit version, we haven't talked about. Uh, uh, again, they're, they're, they're all just fairly brief and enjoyable experiences, in my experience. You know, occasional moments of frustration. But mm. the fact that you can ca- recatch a ring, in uh, it normally gives you a little group of rings before a boss in the Mega Drive version and you can recapture one of those with a desperate sequence of jumps um, means that none of them are, are overly challenging. Even even the, the very final boss is, uh, is, is not the hardest boss you'll probably ever face in a video game. It's the, no. Um, it's the Labyrinth Zone boss that gets me because you're chasing him up that kind of shaft, you know, and you're like, I'm going to get to him at the end and fight him. And he just flies off <laughs> and you've done it. You're like, oh, wicked. The boss yeah. fight wasn't actually him fighting you. You can it get was... one more hit in and he goes all uh, explodey, even if you haven't hit him many times up to that oh, point. I, see. I think you can rattle him a few times on the way up. 
if I you're good. I've, I think I've seen some uh, information on this where he has got a, a, a massive hit pull. Like, you know, you, you have to hit him loads of times in order right, to kind of, you know, actually familiar. do any damage. The main issue with that is, I think, and this is probably a, if we're going uh, nitpicky on some of the criticisms for the game, the hit detection or hit boxes around those underwater spikes, uh, the the ones that poke out and poke back in. Oh, yeah. I've always found those a little bit, un, a bit, you know, they seem a bit lacking in generosity compared to some of the other hazards in the game. Mm. Uh, but it might just be that I'm rubbish at it. And the, in the labyrinth zones... The, this isn't boss fight specifically, but the game has got a yeah. habit of getting you on like an elevator kind of, you know, little stone elevators. Oh, just yeah. Leading you into a pile <laughs> of spikes and you just get compressed and, you know, boom, boom. Right yeah. Well, like those, those platforms that just rise you up into the ceiling and, the, and the red and the red uh, fire from the spurty statue, gargoyle mm-hmm. things. You can see why they moved that level back from second to second last. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Matt sure. L says uh my first exposure to sonic was through the game gear version which i first played at around age eight or nine and i was immediately hooked as a game sonic 8-bit is certainly primitive when compared to its sequels and 16-bit brother but art direction soundtrack and sense of momentum was beyond anything i'd ever experienced from mario who i almost immediately fell out of love with this isn't the Sonic versus Mario show. We'll leave that to the play- playgrounds of the early 90s. <laughs> My first full play- playthrough of Sonic 1 16-bit came about 10 years later on the fantastic Sonic Mega Collection on the, on the GameCube. Unlike its 8-bit counterpart, Sonic 16-bit felt just as compelling in 2003 as I imagined it must have in 1991. That being said, when I'm feeling nostalgic and want to pick up a 2D Sonic these days, this is definitely bottom of my list due to the lack of the spin dash, a feature added into the sequel and further cemented that feeling of do it again, faster, go master this level, get through it without getting hit, get through it grabbing all the rings, see if you can beat your buddy's time. For me, Sonic 1, while not as refined as its sequels, established the four main canons for the series, music, colour, momentum and mastery. I cannot envision gaming without it. Uh, there's that. Uh, we, we have to mention one of the most famous uh, cheat codes, if you will, in gaming history. Up, down, left, right on the title screen or mm. three downs if playing the Japanese version on a Japanese console. Hold a press start. Uh, one curio about this is in the original revision or the original ROM, you will see that the Labyrinth Zone is in second on the level select screen because that was where it was going to be yeah I, I i often cheated in this game and uh and the debug mode too and yeah i do remember seeing them in in different orders yeah the original level order was actually talking about the uh, as john was saying about the sort of eco type message of the game and and it's almost it makes me think of flower you know oh, that yeah. game that game companies like you start off in the greenest place and you progressively get to more man-made mechanical type zones that was the idea that you would have that smooth progression which would mean that labyrinth would make sense as uh, as not the being the second last area of the game but mm. ultimately the the difficulty curve sensibly won out over the artistic design and and mm. i guess they couldn't make it work the other way Shields from the forum says, for me, gaming begins with Sonic the Hedgehog. I remember seeing the Mega Drive I hooked up to a tiny telly in my uncle's bedroom in my grandparents' flat. I was transfixed. I distinctly remember the first time I held the Mega Drive controller and moved Sonic forward and immediately froze, worried that I'd make the spiky blue fellow die. It was a short horror, but one I'll always keep as my first memory of gaming. 
Of course, I got over this worry, and since then, Sonic the Hedgehog has been on my mind, and I still adore Sonic 1 to this day. I own the game myself, and the sequels, the books, the comic, the bedsheets, the pyjamas. I have imprinted the music to my memory. I remember the feeling of elation when I finally beat Labyrinth Zone's boss and discovered Starlight Zone for the first time, and the utter panic when those blades whirred straight to world straight towards me in Scrap Brain Acts 1 and 2. I also remember vividly my curse words when I found out that Act 3 was Labyrinth Zone again, but harder. <laughs> Gaming wouldn't be the same without the Hedgehog, and the Hedgehog wouldn't still be here without this game. And I think it still stands up today as a pinnacle of the untouchable nature that Sonic and Sega had for that brief time. Funny him uh, mentioning the holding the controller, uh, the the gamepad. I still there's still in my head like I'm still always surprised when this game I realize this game only has one button. You look at any control setup on any of the many versions and you've got the Mega Drive had a three button controller, ended up having a six button controller. Any button you press it's da it's jump like that's the only thing you need well, to see, know so that's funny that's that's exactly what they tried to do with uh balan wonderworld which has been okay. unfortunately criticized heavily yeah. but i actually think it's it's actually not a bad game sure but people cannot wrap their their head around the idea that every button is is the same action and i'm just <laughs> like guys like this is they are intentionally trying to do the same thing that was done in Sonic 1. Right. It's exactly the same thing. Hmm. It's like we want a single action button. Uh, and I think that's I think that's neat. I think it's a cool thing to try and do, especially in this day, day and age of complicated yeah. controllers. Like, just simplify it down. It's like, well, I want, I want to be able to jump all the time. It's like the game's designed so you don't have to, right? Like... Uh, I think mm. there, there's beauty in simplicity, and they they got it right in the original Sonic, and I think it's uh, that's that's another really great legacy feature of it. It's just focusing on that single button play, and even when they added moves to it in later games, it was you know Sonic Two even. It's like okay, well now you have a spin dash, but it's still just mm. one action button. Yeah, yeah. In 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 modern terms, you could consider it. Uh, an accessibility feature as much as anything as well like in both in ter- both in, in in both senses of the word accessibility uh like handing a controller to a to a non-gamer back in 1991 there was you know you talk about controllers being intimidating now with their multiple sticks and buttons and d-pads and touchpads and whatever else but handing a three-button controller to a grandparent in 1991 would be like you know what's this thing they might have held a pong paddle 20 years earlier but uh, actually just saying, right, all the buttons do the same thing rather than this one's jump, this one's attack, this one's special move. Like it's just less to take on board. Sean S. Thomas is our final long form correspondent for this podcast. Thanks, everyone, for some great sonic memories. Sean says my family recently unearthed a picture of me sitting at that table playing Sonic his table, uh, which has come to have greater significance than it did before my father's passing last year. In fact, only this past week, I've been clearing out his now sadly unoccupied house, and among his possessions, I found a box of belongings I'd not seen in decades that he presumably had kept. Prior to Sonic's release, I'd spent weeks religiously rereading the 96% review it got in Sega Pro, which I found in a bag upstairs. I still recall the excitement of reading that for maybe the first time ever, the lowly Master System had the best version of a Sega series. And along with it, there was my old Master System and a copy of Sonic 1 and 2. I'd never thought I'd see them again, 
after donating the system and all my old games to the local church youth club. But it appears at some point they were throwing them out and returning them to him. And being the hoarder that he was, he put them in a wardrobe. So after the long drive home, I spent half an hour trying to remember how to tune my old spare TV and got my two kids to test it out. And it still works. My four-year-old son couldn't get the hang on the inertia, so asked me to take over. And 25 plus years since I last played it, I managed to get to the latter stages of the game, remembering the secret walls, extra lives, the first three Chaos Emeralds and air bubble locations in that damned labyrinth. Looking back, it's one of only a handful of games from that era I can truly say I completed fairly without cheats or a level select screen. I'll never be able to now objectively detach the modern day reality of the game from its significance to me on a personal level. But just seeing that slightly faded box art again took me back to happy times and the days when I could get away from spending hours, get away with spending hours playing a game in broad daylight with my parents cooking dinner next to me. For that reason alone, Sonic the Hedgehog on the Master System will always be a very special game to me. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Sean. Uh, in less uh, serious and uh, much pithier and briefer form, we have some three-word reviews. If I can get you folks to help me with these, follow us on Twitter at Canaan Rinse. Uh, Liam Evans Keen says, "Gotta go slow." Christopher Love says, "Just hold right." <laughs> Will Marley says, "Gotta learn paths." Bearfish Pie says, "Drowning tune, harrowing." David Roberts, air bubble, wop wop. Alex79 UK says, toe-tapping tornado. Joe Bobonobo says, first gaming love. And Mike Bamford says, life-changing video game. Wonderful. Thanks all. Let us summarize uh, our feelings on the Blue Blur's first outing. Would we recommend them today? Let's start with, I don't know. I think we're all in a similar sort of space. Let's start with Darren. Yeah, so... Sonic the Hedgehog 1 on the Mega Drive, I liked as a as a child, you know, because it, it was just a platform game that was kind of cooler than the rest on the Mega Drive, in my opinion. And then Sonic 2 came out and it knocked it off a perch and I kind of besmirched the game. Going, nah, it's, it's no good. It's no good. But playing it recently, you know, for this, this, for this podcast and last year or two on Twitch, I actually really admired it for what it was doing. I, I appreciated the slowing down and exploring and yeah, found the game to be an, a really enjoyable experience. and. One that we'll go back to more often than not to show Ivy what it's all about. But the Master System game for me has always been the actual one that I've truly loved throughout all of it. You know, it, I haven't played it as much as the Mega Drive one because it's not as e easily as obtainable over the years. You know, I only just recently learned you can get it on the 3DS, which is just, you know, a piece of magic to me. But yeah, um, the Master System game, like I've got a, such a fond memory of going around my auntie's house and refusing to move out of this room until I beat it. And that was the only time I've ever beaten it. And it was just like, hmm. yep, nope. I remember actually coming, like, br 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 running downstairs, telling my brothers that I got to the scrap brain bit. And it's just like so many kind of nostalgic memories specifically tied to that one game on the Master System, which, um, which you know, which is why I, hide, I, 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 excuse me, I hold it in such high regard. To the point where I can't speak about it because it's just that good. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like the Edge of One on the Mega Drive. I, I think it's a classic. And then on the Master System too. Yeah, absolutely worth a go. Thanks, Darren. Leah, sum up Sonic for us. I mean, this was one of the first games that I 
really had to play. I, I'd had a Game Boy before it, but um, yeah, this is kind of where console gaming started to happen in force for me. So I don't think that I could separate Sonic as a game from kind of my personal uh, attachment to to the the console and the the series as a whole really um well maybe not the series as a whole but it, certainly the earlier uh entries in the series mm. um so I, I mean all i can really say is that this game ended up being super important to me uh and i think that for me it does still hold up i i still enjoyed my time playing it um, I since this since this episode has started, I have ordered online a <laughs> copy of Sonic the Hedgehog for the, the Game Boy Advance. Oh my god! <laughs> it was fifteen dollars. I don't regret it. Hi. I probably will later, but that's okay. Tell um, us all about so, it at some point yeah, somehow. I'll, we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, but I I I like this game a lot. I I think that it is important to gaming history as well as to me personally my gaming history so if you're interested in that kind of thing uh, I, I think you could definitely do a lot worse than to pick it up it's readily available kind of everywhere so um yeah it it's low stakes to check it out and see if you are interested in it and maybe you'll uh, maybe you'll form an attachment so yeah recommended from me thanks yeah, I'm sort of uh, I'm excited I wasn't excited about the announcement of, of yet another sonic collection or whatever uh, when it happened a few weeks back whenever it was uh, but now that i know a little more about it thanks to john i'm actually quite excited to buy sonic hedgehog sonic hedgehog sonic that's the opposite of alex the kid sonic hedgehog his first name is sonic his surname is hedgehog I feel uh, i'm now excited to buy sonic the hedgehog for the eight thousandth time on the 17 millionth different format or whatever uh, i have an enormous amount of affection for the first four Sonic games and what I consider to be, and this is no slight on the, on the 8-bit versions, it's just because I didn't have the, uh, the, the hardware at the time, or never, never have actually, uh, the first four Sonic games on the Mega Drive, including Sonic 3 and Knuckles, which I think is still a mighty experience in itself. Uh, those four are like the canon Sonic, the real Sonic, the, the, the Yuji Naka era Sonic, when Sega was what Sega was then and those games even outside of nostalgia and stuff represent a, a kind of a surrealistic joy that video games uh, doesn't always recapture these days uh, I think Sonic 1 is still I find I find it fun to play I think maybe some elements of it have aged a little bit just stuff like yeah like maybe these days there will be certain tweaks to the way you get you can get killed and spiked and things like that in terms of anticipation warning um the fact that you can just suddenly get unceremoniously caught between two platforms and lose a life and all this kind of stuff um and i, I definitely take on board different people's comments about the the momentum of the game and how it it feels to some people it feels like they want it to be just a pure rush and to other people they want to be able to slow down a bit more and um yeah, it's curious just how kind of differently people come to this game because I guess it it shows that it does play a little bit unlike other uh, platformers of the type of the type. But yeah, um, it's still I just still think it looks beautiful, still plays in terms of actually controlling Sonic really well, even to this day, even with his slightly peculiar momentum, especially if you play one of the modern versions with the 
the spin dash added in. And yeah, as I said to uh, to our, our friend on, on Twitter, like I do recommend starting at Sonic 1, which is the one we're talking about today, because it's an important game and it, it really sets the, the tone. I am not all about the, the attitude Sonic with the guitars and the lyrics and the real humans of later years. This is my Sonic, the early Sonic in his bizarre fantasy land, where he was still quite cute and wasn't all about the tood. Uh, let's finish with our guest, John. Yeah, I mean, you guys have said a lot about it that I agree with. It's a very important game, both to the industry, but mm. also for, for me personally. I played it a lot back in the day. But uh, I've moved beyond just the nostalgia, and I've really looked closely at the series over the years, and I do feel that, that they executed something really brilliant with this, and it's right up there with many of the other classics, uh, including Nintendo's own Mario, as far as just like... It's just perfectly executed for what they were trying to do. It offers a very appealing character, gorgeous visual design, very like memorable music and everything. Uh, and it's just, it's something that you can still go back to today and enjoy quite easily. Uh, it's in a way that not everything from back then you necessarily can. Uh, and I think because of the familiar, the, the familiarity with the character and these games, you can kind of jump back to this and it still feels like a modern game in a way in many ways, really like it's mm. like Sonic never left. Um, but, and I, I think that's really just, it, it talks, it speaks to its strength of design. Um, and beyond that, you know, I do think Sonic was absolutely crucial to Sega at the time. And I think it helped tremendously with making the Genesis a success in the U S and mega drive in Europe. Um, Sonic became such an important character for that company and it still is today. And um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just one of those games. It's, it's something that I think will continue to be loved by many over the years. And it definitely starts right with this very first one. As far as the eight bit one though, I also like that one. That's that's often left out, but I do think it's a fun little platformer, and it's really interesting to look at how they had tried to adapt elements that define Sonic to a less capable piece of hardware. Uh, it's the kind of thing that we don't get to see too often these days due to the similarity between all the different platforms. You know, even when one is significantly less capable than the other, like, say, the Switch, they usually just bring the original code base over and make changes to it to make it work. And it's just mm. a worse looking version of the original. But back then the, the gap was much larger. The capability so different uh, that we actually got a completely unique game. And I actually think that's something valuable uh, to look back on is that mm. time period when we would get those unique games. So yeah, yeah. Great stuff all around. hundred percent agreed. The ubiquitous Sonic the Hedgehog, then. Uh, so it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Darren, Leah, and John. John, you don't need us to promote you, but uh, but here's your opportunity to uh, tell our listeners where they can find you in the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we're over on Digital Foundry, so youtube.com slash digitalfoundry and at eurogamer.net slash digitalfoundry. And I'm at Dark1x on Twitter. Um, we did just sort of relaunch our Patreon recently. And for good reason, because that has allowed us to essentially justify doing DF Retro stuff once per month. Well, a lot of bonus stuff as well, but now I'm doing a full episode every month. Mm. 
Uh, and the most recent one, which went out for patrons and will be going public soon enough, is uh, a near three-hour look at the PlayStation 1 launch, including every single game, uh, the history, all the platform comparisons, every region. It's ridiculous, Oof. but it's cool. <laughs> yeah, perfect companion to our own uh, PlayStation console podcast, of course. Uh, and yes, I, I would like to stress that um, while I understand that uh, what Digital Foundry does with uh, pixel counting and frame rate inspections and all that, it's not everyone's cup of tea and it's not what everyone, but there's more, there's way more to Digital Foundry than that. Yeah, and, that's, how, uh, that's how it started. But yeah. we've worked really, really, really hard to move away from that. And that's like probably just maybe like 10% of what the site's yeah. about at this point. Yes, and if you've heard John's, you know, knowledge and expertise and passion on this show, that's kind of what you can expect, especially on uh, his parts of, uh, of of Digital Foundry and and DF Retro. Um, yeah, there's a there was a recent uh, Quake uh, Retro oh, that yeah. he did, which is pretty epic as well. And um, yeah, we loved uh, we we particularly we liked your um, when you were looking at the Last of Us Two patch. Again, what came across as well as the analysis of the the frame rate boost and things like that on the PS5 was also you were just getting excited about the textures they used and and like you know the art the art uh, it's quality and skill that goes into those games so that that's all there as well. Yeah, I like to think of uh, a lot of those types of videos on modern games as you know when a game comes out it gets reviewed by hundreds of people. Yeah, and that's the game gets reviewed. I like to think of us more as reviewing the the visuals and the tech side. And yeah. it's like giving all the artists and programmers their day in the sun, so to speak. And I'm not really here to just like, you know, I, I want to highlight the good work that people are doing and really share that because I think there's a lot of impressive stuff that's being done today that maybe isn't fully understood or appreciated. Yeah, and I agree. I just like to highlight it and help people understand like why what these guys are doing is so darn cool. Uh, and thankfully, we're, you know, we're pretty much in control of what we cover on the site. So yeah. I pretty much only pick stuff that I'm interested in. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Uh, thanks again for your time, John. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, see you back maybe for the Balan Wonderworld show in the future. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, thanks also to Editor Jay and our, all of our correspondents. And of course, to you for listening. Now, next time, thanks to Leah <laughs> in issue 474. We've got Hiroki Kikuta's Curious. Is it Kodelka, Kodelka, or Kudelka? Kudelka. Kudelka. That's awesome. That's a good yeah. choice. It is a good choice. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>